Hello, and welcome to Adult Human Female, a feminist podcast exploring news and events that are significant to women's rights. I'm your host, Ellie Ellis. Here are the headlines. The Hawaii State Commission on the Status of Women introduced a feminist economic recovery plan that is designed to help women recover from the economic hardships created by the coronavirus pandemic. The plan is the first of its kind in the nation, and quite frankly, I think, probably in the whole fucking world. It's called Building Bridges, Not Walking on Backs, a feminist economic recovery plan for COVID-19, and it centres women from the most marginalised groups that have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. The plan not only proposes measures that will help aid in recovery from the economic fallout of the virus but also introduces fundamental changes to the way women's work is valued and compensated. About fucking time, really, is all I can say to that. And well done to Hawaii. Let's hope the rest of the world can follow suit in some way. The US Department of Education, led by Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, announced new Title IX federal regulations that change requirements on who must report sexual assault allegations and how institutions respond to those complaints. So these adjustments, which were outlined in a 2,000-odd page document and are set to go into effect in August, no longer require coaches and other employees at colleges and universities to report allegations to the Title IX office. So they are removing that kind of compulsory duty of care in that sense. Um, it is not; it will no longer be compulsory for them to report any allegations, which is a bit scary. They also give schools a choice in what standard of proof they would like to follow, bolster protections for the accused... <laughs> and require live hearings and cross-examinations. To me, this all sounds terrible for victims of sexual assault, quite frankly. It sounds awful. Transgender prisoners in the UK have carried out seven sex attacks on women in jail. Official figures have shown for the first time the true scale of offending by criminals who were born male but were allowed to move into female jails after saying they had changed their gender. Despite these clear risks, prison governors are still allowing for trans inmates to move into women's prisons. The amount of research being carried out by women in the UK has plummeted during lockdown. This is being attributed to additional lockdown childcare needs, as well as caring for older family members, and an increase in chores such as cooking and cleaning, which is slowing up female researchers far more than their male colleagues. At a leading research publication, the Comparative Political Studies Journal, submissions from men were up almost 50% in April. So I guess men are able to take this time in lockdown and just get a lot more work done, and women are struggling to find enough hours in the day, which... Just sounds about typical, really, doesn't it? Okay, so a couple of main stories I want to talk about this week. Um, The first is in the US, and lawyers in a high-profile lawsuit over transgender athletics in Connecticut have filed a motion asking the judge to recuse himself. 
Now, I have mentioned this lawsuit before, um, probably more than once. So this is the lawsuit where the three young female athletes are trying to stop males from being able to compete in their sports. And the, the issue, the reason that the judge is being asked to recuse himself is because there is some debate over whether the lawyers for the Alliance Defending Freedom can refer to biologically male high school athletes as biological males, even though those students identify as women. And the judge apparently told them that no, they weren't allowed to refer to them as, as biological males. Um, and so they are now saying, quite rightly, that this has revealed the judge's ideological animus against the plaintiffs and would, in essence, force one side in the dispute to adopt the other's theory of the case. Um, these are words that I've taken out of the New York Post article on it. Um, so <laughs> it's it, it's quite scary, really, isn't it? I mean, so this is... This complaint is being made by the lawyers representing the plaintiffs. So they are, like I said, three um, young women, Selena Sewell, Alana Smith and Chelsea Mitchell. Um, so they filed this lawsuit in February against the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference. And their, their allegation is sex discrimination under Title IX. But the judge, you know, the, 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 the lawyers, and I clearly am in agreement with this, the lawyers feel that the judge is basically pre-deciding the case by saying that in their sort of, I don't know if he's talking about the girls' testimonies, but certainly talking about the way that the lawyers are presenting the case, um, they're, they're not allowed to refer to these boys men, I don't know how old these students are, um, but the, the lawyers aren't allowed to refer to them as men, as boys, as male. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, if a judge is, is saying that at that point, you know, that is quite clear, it's quite clear what side of the argument he's going to come down on. If he, <laughs> it, the judge clearly believes that these boys are not male which it, it it's kind of scary isn't it when you think about learned well-educated intelligent people buying in to this in this way um you would assume i mean i don't know maybe you wouldn't assume about judges but <laughs> they're supposed to be impartial aren't they like, it is quite disturbing, really. And, yeah, so the, the judge has told these, these lawyers that they shouldn't, in their briefings, they shouldn't refer to these two men as biologically male. And he actually said that referring to these individuals as transgender females is consistent with science, common practice, and perhaps human decency. I mean... It's worrying enough that he's saying it's consistent with science, but saying it's consistent with human decency is quite scary because I think that 
is very much a matter of opinion and very much reveals him to hold certain opinions, really. Um, so, so they've asked for this judge to step down. Whether that will happen or not, um, yeah. It, so at the moment, I don't know how long. I I don't quite know how it works. Like can, they've obviously asked him to step down. What if he doesn't? Like, does he have to? Uh, does he have to prove that he's not biased? I'm not really sure. Um, you know how much sway they've got in in sort of being able to ask this judge to not be partisan um but you know I, I will keep you posted on that um because it's you know we've seen this time and time again sadly in in the court systems in various different ways I mean you know we have had some positive legal results um but I think every time it is a gamble isn't it and so hopefully, hopefully, you know, this is a really, really important case. It does seem like this is going to be a sort of, this is going to set a precedent. Um, I mean, this, this writer in the New York Post says, the whole edifice of American anti-discrimination law, including Title IX, rests on there being a meaningful bodily distinction between the two sexes. Remove that foundation and the justice of anti-discrimination law crumbles. So, um yeah <laughs> I mean she's absolutely right and therefore this case is really really important so it will be interesting to see what happens with that judge um and and it just kind of shows what we are up against really um when it's just sort of the luck of the draw who who you get on that day dealing with these really important decisions because it is such a divisive issue unfortunately I mean it shouldn't be it should be really obvious shouldn't it but um yeah so I'll keep you posted um the other main thing that I want to talk about today is Oxford University has released a statement on the importance of free speech and has rejected the academic hate speech motion that was passed by the Oxford Student Union Student Council on Thursday. So this hate speech motion passed 28 votes to 11 with 10 abstentions in the union, so within the union themselves. Um, but then, interestingly, then the university have then rejected that motion um and the the um the motion proposed to create an su policy titled protection of transgender non-binary disabled working class and women and there's a star next to women which uh, god knows why um students from hatred in university contexts so the motion mandates the SU to condemn hateful material for being included in mandatory teaching 
and to lobby for trigger warnings on reading lists and for lectures, tutorials and examinations with content deemed prejudicial. I mean, honestly, who would have the time to look at every single textbook, even, you know, to start with and think, all right, is there anything in this textbook that's going to trigger someone? <laughs> I mean, that's just ridiculous anyway, isn't it? Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's various um, aspects of this that are really quite problematic. Um, you know, I mean, luckily, the university have sort of stood up against this and, and said, no, we're not, we're not having that. Um, they said, the university said, free speech is the lifeblood of university. It enables the pursuit of knowledge. It helps us approach truth. A university should never prevent speech that is lawful. Inevitably, this will mean that members of the university are confronted with views that some find unsettling, extreme or offensive. The university must therefore foster freedom of expression within a framework of robust civility. Not all theories deserve equal respect. Wherever possible, they should also be exposed to evidence, questioning and argument. Neither speakers nor listeners should have any reasonable grounds to feel intimidated or censored. Which is, you know, is really sensible. Now, you, I'm sure, won't be shocked to know that the motion was originally proposed by the former co-chair of the LGBTQ plus um, student union campaign. Although it was seconded by the Oxford Student Union Disability Campaign. So, um, interestingly, the Student Union Disability Campaign, you know, were, were not satisfied with the motion being rejected by the university. Um, I mean, they're saying it doesn't, it's not requiring the university to censor any teaching materials, but it... And maybe it's not asking for direct censorship. I don't... But it is asking for them to condemn hateful material. So, you know, that sounds a bit like censorship, doesn't it? I mean, interestingly, Jonathan Herring, who teaches medical law and ethics modules, um, said that if reading lists could not contain any ableist material, oddly, that would that could mean you could not have some of the leading disability rights writings because those contain a summary of ableist views. Um, and I have to say, Richard Dawkins has been very vocal on Twitter about it as well. Um, <laughs> he said, so history students can't read up on women's suffrage or the rise of Nazism or apartheid. Theology students can't read the Bible or Quran. Philosophy students mustn't read much of moral philosophy literature. What do they think a university is for? And, I mean, he's, you know, he's absolutely right. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it, I, I think, bearing in mind things have happened, like, I'm pretty sure it was at Oxford that um, Selena Todd was no-platformed. So, for the university to stand against this motion, I think is really important and really, I guess, you know, it's it's hopeful, isn't it? That it just, yeah, it just does seem positive and like that universities are 
holding these things in mind and and not not bowing to the pressure from woke students basically um so yeah i think that this is really good news and i you know it'd be good to see some other universities talking about the importance of free speech in this same sort of way i think i mean obviously this has kind of been forced by the this motion um being brought by the student union but yeah i think it's it's really important and um and just good on oxford really so dictionary corner i saw a post recently on a group that is completely unrelated to anything sort of feminist um but was asking about the idea of toxic masculinity and the 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 poster said that they were familiar with the concept of toxic masculinity but wondered whether there was also such a thing as toxic femininity and I so I didn't engage in the discussion at all but it did make me think because I was kind of you know thinking about what toxic masculinity means and whether like, I guess whether there's any kind of masculinity that isn't toxic or isn't femininity equally toxic because gender is kind of toxic so it just kind of gave me pause for thought really so I thought first of all I'd start off by just looking at what the definition of toxic masculinity is when it's you know it is used a lot so this is what wikipedia describes as toxic masculinity the concept of toxic masculinity is used in academic and media discussions of masculinity to refer to certain cultural norms that are associated with harm to society and to men themselves traditional stereotypes of men as socially dominant along with related traits such as misogyny and homophobia can be considered toxic due in part to their promotion of violence including sexual assault and domestic violence the socialization of boys in patriarchal societies often normalizes violence such as in the saying boys will be boys with regard to bullying aggression and harassment self-reliance and emotional repression are correlated with increased psychological problems in men such as depression increased stress and substance abuse Toxic masculine traits are characteristic of the unspoken codes of behaviour such as among military forces, negatively impacting veterans and among men in American prisons where they exist in part as a response to the harsh conditions of prison life. Other traditionally masculine traits such as devotion to work, pride in excelling at sports and providing for one's family are not considered to be toxic. So I thought that was interesting because that does break down the elements of like masculinity that we yeah that that we do more hold up as actually these things that are seen as masculine are positive as opposed to these other things that we see as masculine that are extremely negative and you know i mean all those things that were described as toxic masculinity um definitely um are (laughs) 
a big part of what feminists are trying to deconstruct um, and are all very, very patriarchal in, um, in essence, aren't they? So it is interesting that, yeah, that the idea of, yeah, so the, but the idea of like, you know, the man as, I don't know, the, the, the provider is not seen as toxic. It's not toxic, but it, it's still oppressive, isn't it? So that's kind of interesting. And, you know, I think it's interesting that, that there's certain aspects of patriarchy basically are seen as negative by a wide number of people including probably liberal feminists and I think that's probably where the divide comes um I don't know I mean probably liberal feminists don't want to be like looked after by a man either uh in the sort of you know provider um sense so Interestingly, when you do Google toxic femininity, then, then there, <laughs> there is basically a sense that um, it, there is a belief by some that toxic femininity exists, but it's really interesting because it seems to centre around things like women using their sort of feminine wiles. Um, so... Yeah, that kind of like, you can't hit me because I'm a woman sort of defence. Um, or the idea that women can get away with stuff if they flutter their eyelashes. Which, I mean, obviously I, ha you know, <laughs> as a feminist, <laughs> I have no desire to engage in either of those kind of practices. And I, I you know, and obviously there are women out there who, who do. Um, so... Sorry, I don't think here my cat is meowing at me rather annoyingly. <laughs> so he obviously has a lot to say about this. Yeah, so I thought it and it's and it's interesting, isn't it? Because so let's look at the difference between those two types of toxic adherence to gender roles. So in toxic masculinity, you're talking about men who are violent or extremely repressed, um, which quite frankly usually leads to violence, doesn't it? So we are, that's mostly what we're talking about. What is referred to as toxic femininity is definitely not violent. Um, there's, an, there's an aspect of one of the like descriptions I read was about like, you know, a woman being violent and then her defence being, you can't hit me because I'm a woman. Um, but women don't tend to, uh, you know, in general, be violent. Um, certainly nowhere near as violent as men. And I mean, it's just, it, it, I don't know, it's kind of making me think of that quote, which might be Andrea Dworkin, but I can't remember. Um, but yeah, that that men are afraid women will laugh at them and women are afraid men will kill them. It's kind of reminding me of that in terms of that double standard. And I think ultimately I don't I don't know that talking about toxic masculinity is helpful to us as feminists because I think 
really all masculinity however it's seen if it's seen associated with men and being a male characteristic then that's the problem isn't it like there is nothing wrong with both members of a partnership assuming you're in a couple you know wanting to both provide in whatever way that might be for the household and for the family if there are you know children involved um that doesn't have to be a male trait does it um and you know and ultimately we know that all gender is toxic because it tries to make people conform to to certain roles which you know it's just not okay is it so I don't know I thought it was a really interesting thing to think about because you do hear toxic masculinity talked about a lot and I think you know it, it it's important to understand what we mean when we are using that term and and whether that term is actually helpful at all and I I'm thinking that no it's not really that helpful um to us in terms of trying to dismantle the patriarchal structure and trying to assert <laughs> ourselves as free of gender so yeah something interesting to ponder I'd be I would be interested to know what other people think about toxic masculinity I mean toxic femininity it, I, I'm struggling to give it any credence at all really at all because I suspect that it's men <laughs> who've come up with the idea to hit back at women who are talking about them being toxically masculine so um <laughs> I'm not giving it very much credence but interesting to think about and yeah if anyone has any thoughts very interested to know what they are thank you so much for listening I know it's been quite a short episode um this week and probably again it's I imagine it's gonna be another two weeks before I'm back um just due to childcare and stuff um but thanks so much for tuning in still I hope you're all keeping safe and well out there <laughs> you know things are still so uncertain um so I'm glad to be providing a bit of stability in a sense and yeah please get in touch ahfpod.gmail.com if you have any thoughts you'd like to share you can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at AHFPod. And I will see you all in two weeks' time. Thanks to Toes and Davian for the music. My name is Ellie Ellis and I am an adult human female. <laughs>